The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you guys pray with me once more before we have a seat? Father, I, I ask you please to uh, collect my mind, my heart, and my emotions and steady the course before me this morning as I try to preach your word. Send it forth in power and love and great effect. And likewise, steady everyone's heart and mind and ears to hear and to receive. Holy Spirit, we invite you, be welcomed, be lively in your working, I pray, for the glory and the magnificence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat as you are. Psalm 20. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 20. Well, today, in our consideration of Psalm 20, we are concluding our second 10-chapter stent through the book of Psalms. Not sure when when we will return for another 10-week series and pick up in chapter 21, which is a psalm of thanksgiving in response to Psalm 20, which is where, where we are today. You know, once again, another example of that careful arrangement saints of old, um, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, did in these poems and songs being collected. Um, But we're not sure when we'll return, but we will, and we trust that the Lord will make that known to us in his time. And it has been a great series uh, that I've heard affirmed by many uh, here for our church family just to be just helpful in the time invested in it. So, Psalm 20, our last one for this series. And the title of today's message is Unos Pro Omnibus, Omnis Pro Uno. Anyone? I'm looking for Arison because I understand he loves Latin. Anyone? It's the Latin phrase that means, who's that? Does someone have it? Okay. Well, it's the Latin phrase that means, All for one and one for all. Most readily recognized and made famous by Alexander Dumas in the 1844 novel, what? The Three Musketeers, right? Who phrased it with their swords raised above them, probably clinging together, all for one and one for all, which is reverse order, but the same meaning all for one, and one for all. And this motto of theirs, the three musketeers, it encompassed in a few short words that all the members of a group support each individual members, of the individual members, and the individual members pledge to support the group. I chose this as the title of today's message from Psalm 20, because of how it, like so many of David's psalms written, and I keep seeing it over and over again, they have this this beautiful blend of David speaking either specifically of himself in relation to God and life that's happening around him that we all can relate to and be helped by, but then also that which pertains to the covenant people of God. Sometimes, even within the same very psalm, which is so cool, as I believe to be, in today's case, with Psalm 20, 
We get this, this all for one and one for all emphasis on the covenant people of God whom David himself was a part of. And though I don't believe it was the intent of the Three Musketeers author to, to steal this model from God, it is nevertheless God's intention for his covenant people from the beginning. Consider just a few small samplings or small sampling of large portions of scripture that solidifies this as being God's intent for his covenant people. Starting with how God addressed his people prior to and then often at the end of him, God telling them, his people, how they are to live distinct from the rest of the people on the face of the earth. He often bookends it with this. Deuteronomy 14.2. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Peter refers back to this in his exhortation to the church living distinctly Christian lives. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, But you, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, individual members that make up a group, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And how is this expressed at the birth of the church in Acts? Acts 2.44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And how did the Holy Spirit, through his servant Paul, describe this working and to what end, which is critical? To what end? Ephesians 4.15-16. Speaking the truth in love, We, every individual member, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, made up of each individual member of the church, that's you and me, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each each part is working properly, my part and yours, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All for one and one for all. All the members of a group support each of the individual members and the individual members pledge to support the group. And our group, the Christian church, does so to exalt Christ and glorify God. Other people groups can and do portray this all for one and one for all, not just the three musketeers. They portray this outlook or model for life, but but under what banner? Under what banner? What what name or cause is aimed at giving recognition to? There are many. There are many, but the only one worthy to receive all recognition and praise is to the one, being Jesus Christ, who gave all that a covenant people of God may be in existence. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this is is what sets us apart. For the non-Christian people groups, oftentimes they, they do this quite well. I mean, let's be honest Sadly, even better than some Christian groups. The key is under what banner? For what purpose? You know, to what end? Because this is what sets it apart from the rest. And this is why we exist. Right, church? Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. It's our family business to do so. And we ought to be all in for one another and going about doing it. 
All Christ's people, members of his body, are for the one purpose to magnify the name of Jesus Christ, and each one of us contribute to this end through building each other up in love. For the whole church, you know, both over the ages, from the very beginning, I mean, they're doing that to us now by reading from the text of their obedience, right? Over the ages, but also here right now as a local body of believers. The interconnection we share in together is supernatural while it works itself out in the practical every day. So, the complete title of today's message, All for One and One for All and All for the Glory of Christ. And we see this first expressed by us being each other's biggest fan, okay? Our first point, being each other's biggest fan, taken from the bulk of the passage before us this morning, verses 1 through 6. All for one and one for all is expressed by us being each other's biggest fan. With brotherly love in Christ, we ought to be one another's biggest fan for success. Not as the world defines it, but, but success in this life as God sees it. Knowing that, like, my God is for you, like, I am so for you. I am for you. And we see this come through with David praying, in essence, may God, my God, may God do this for you. The first five verses plainly state this. The majority of this psalm is weighted on this emphasis. All for one and one for all and all for the glory of Christ expressed by us being each other's biggest fan. From David's heart, we see this sincere desire on behalf of another in the opening verses of Psalm 20. We, th- we see this sincere desire on behalf of another expressed through prayer for protection, provision, prosperity, and the pleasure of God. Let's begin. Verse 1. Verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. You know, a response for help to you from God above as you cry out to him for deliverance. Prayer for his provision to do so as he promised he will. That's prayer for provision. May the God, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Protection, protection from our enemy and all his works and effects to rob your joy in the Lord and bring discouragement and despair into your heart. Protection in every respect, both physical protection and spiritual well-being. You know, your health and safety, protection against poor decision-making, for the enemy not to gain a foothold and bring division or discord in your life. A prayer for protection. Verse 2, may he, God, send you from, from the sanctuary and give you support. I missed a word. May he, God, send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion, like inner strength, give you courage of heart and strength in your inner man, give you progress and holiness, favor in your dealings, wisdom and discernment from his word in navigating this life by faith successfully, abiding hope and peace and increased faith in the sovereignty of God and every promise, every promise he's made. That's a, that's a prayer for provision and prosperity. May he send you help from this sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings. The loving kindness you've shown, your loving kindness that you've shown, the generosity in your time and your talents, your possessions and just your presence, just being with you. And you're readily available for that. Your presence with others that you gladly offer out of love for God, out of love for him, which overflows towards others, that he, God, that, that you do so to glorify God, that he, on your behalf, that God will remember all of that and that he would regard it with favor. In other words, may God reward your faithfulness. 
May he reward your faithfulness, i.e., may you know the pleasure of the Lord and all its benefits. It's a prayer. Know, Know that God is pleased with you. It's a prayer for the pleasure of God. And here we get a Selah. My son asked me, why did, why did Nathan say Selah? So Selah, it, it calls for a break or an accentuation in the singing of the psalm. Whether you just pause or say it, it causes an interruption, a break there. Perhaps intended, initiated for the intent to gather our thoughts collectively and consider these forever truths with wonder and awe. Selah, you know, a technical musical term is what it is, and it's placed at various places in the Psalms for such the purpose. So, according to God's word, along with me, let's take a deep breath. Maybe not deep, but just take a breath. Let's pause. Consider what we've considered thus far. Thank you, Lord, for your word. All right, amen. Let's go. Let's continue now. And so, and I love what comes next. I love what comes next because what is carried along with it. Verse 4. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Like, I am so for you. I am so for you. I am your biggest fan who delights to see God bless you. There is no greater joy for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. First or third John 1 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now that's parent to child, pastor to church member, Christian to Christian. And walking in the truth implies that you delight yourself in the Lord and His Word. Psalm 37 whereby he places, God places, his desires into your heart that they also become your desires, and I am asking God to grant and fulfill every one of them. Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. I'm so stoked in what God is doing in your life. I'm going to come down and put my arm around you and rejoice with you in our God's work in you, which hopefully you'll be doing right back to me for the same very reason. And for us to do so in a manner that clearly directs glory to God for it. That 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 is our banner, that it would be boldly clear to all that these people who are all for one and one for all, are all for the, are, are such for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 5, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions, respectful and humble request to God on your behalf. May every one of the ways I have joined with you in prayer on your behalf come to pass. Like, may it be so. Verse 6, now I know, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. I know, says David. Why is David so confident in this? Why is he so confident in this? I believe it's because he has experienced life with the covenant people of God. I have seen God working his saving might in your life, in my life, in our lives. He has demonstrated his faithfulness over and over before, and he will do so again. This has been David's experience. And now church... I'm inclined to press a matter on this topic. For up to to this point, I believe you would agree with me that this sounds good. That this is right. Amen? All for one and all and one for all expressed in being each other's biggest fan. That we are sincerely for one another's success in living this life by faith to the glory of Christ. This is right and true 
and sounds really good. But what is it that makes it real? What is it that makes it real? We're like David here. We're the Christian knows, as David does here, knows it by experiencing such life with the covenant people of God. What moves this beyond ideologies, you know, good and right ideologies, sincere desires on behalf of one another, but what moves it from from there into experience whereby it is real to us? Let me ask it this way. For each individual member to enter into the group and participate where this is authentic life experience, for the door to be opened into that space that we want to be in, for that door to open, what does it hinge upon? Trust. Trust. A confidence, a reliance, or note this, a resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person. To commit to the care of in confidence. To be one to confidence. Confidence in each other for the mutual care of. To trust in, confide in, to rely on. These are all samplings from the Webster's 1828 dictionary definitions of trust. Trust is paramount. Our second point in verses 7 through 8. Trust is paramount. All for one and one for all and all for the glory of Christ hinges upon trust. It is crucial for this to be present. Ultimately, you know, as, uh, for us as a people group to have our trust firmly placed in God who is our banner as verses 7 through 8 signify but also, also, feeling the momentum of the bulk of this psalm from our first point, also trust in one another. So let's start there. Let's start there. There is, there is such a thing as an assigned trust. Okay? An example, an example would be my boss last year retired. And his replacement was put in the position to lead the team. And his replacement went through an interview process, right? And was awarded, assigned, you could say, a trust among the group that they are now a part of to lead. And the group, the department I'm a part of, acts on that trust. But it wasn't until later where that assigned trust moved or is able to move to the higher virtue and effectiveness of an earned trust. Allow me to sync this a bit further with another example that relates a bit closer to what we are talking about. I asked Craig and Karen permission to do so. Craig and Karen went through a rigorous process to be cleared as trustworthy, foster, and adoptive parents. Fiona came into their lives under that assigned trust. There was a trust present, but it was assigned. It wasn't that which brought about Fiona truly being able to be what? Herself. Herself. That took time. That took quality time. It took care and nurturing by Craig and Karen to build that trust where she feels safe and free to be herself. It's this type of trust 
that hinges to what degree we experience the Christian life among the covenant people of God. It's the trust that produces vulnerability, openness. It produces effect and has impact, lasting impact. It's where building one another up in love for the sake of Christ as a covenant people of God is where that, that takes shape at deep levels, where it's experienced authentically. Earning each other's trust by which it is safe to allow each other to truly know each other. Not know a lot about each other, certain facts, but know each other. There's a difference, a stark difference. Knowing one another in a manner that that penetrates deep and is willing to take risk. Willing to take risk in doing so because it's worth it. And anything else otherwise is... It's just dull and lifeless. And strangely, relationships that lack this perpetually, they're exhausting to upkeep. Earning earning one another's trust is where it becomes real to us. Life and flourishing exist here, and therefore such trust ought to be highly valued. That's why it's heart-wrenching when trust of this nature, though taken a long time to gain, is lost, broken, or worse yet, betrayed in a moment. I mean, how devastating is that when it happens? In a moment, just pulverized and brought back to ground zero or even, or even lower for sometimes the pain of that betrayal, that betrayed trust is excruciating with scars. But listen, church, but it is not beyond the reach of the gospel to heal. Those scars may remain, but they are ones bound up and healed until the story of how Jesus offers bountiful, bountiful forgiveness and reconciliation to be had at the foot of the cross. So let's, let's talk about this a touch more, just a touch more, because... Because this is the sort of trust we want to have, keep, and steadily grow in. Right? Steadily grow in. For this is the type of trust that matters. So how do we do this practically? How have we done this? And how can we do this more so? To earn one another's trust. So some chief means to refresh our minds with it, I want to bring before us this morning. Number one, time. (laughs) Just time. Time with one another over time, because it just takes time, but time that is done so in quality time. Because that's the key, quality time. Whether that be meaningful conversations, both in the study of God's word, but also just, just life, just sharing life, especially in how God's word by the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Whether that be shared with tears of joy or heartache, Either way, is forging trust. As well as shared experiences. Partnering up on a project. Yesterday, I missed out on trust being forged. Serving one another. Likewise, it was one and the same. All simple yet profound ways trust is being forged. And I would add lastly, showing Showing someone that you trust them contributes to building trust in the relationship. And yes, I know. With that comes inherent risk, no doubt. It does. But it is a risk worth taking. And all of this is done in faithfulness. It's done in faithfulness. These are some of the means to earn each other's trust over time, whereby we deepen in relying upon one another for support where we feel safe to be ourselves. Who, as a unified people, 
all for one and one for all and all for the glory of Christ are ones who trust, capital T-R-U-S-T, trust, you could say, our trust is placed in God, both individually and as a group. You see how those are both distinct yet joined? Individually and as a group. A mutual trust placed in God that is rock-solid granite because of who it is placed in. Nathan prayed strong this morning about how we break trust. It just happens. We're sinners. Gospel restores, but God never breaks trust. He's rock-solid granite. And as sojourners here on earth, we are surrounded, surrounded by people groups and world systems who place their trust in what the world would uphold as powerful and mighty. You know, forces to be reckoned with. Whether it be economic power, military might, or the strength of a great army by its sheer number of soldiers. You know, all are boasted in. We see that boasted in all around us. And for a notable reason. Boasted in is that which a person, a people, or a nation can put their trust in. This is what the world identifies as ultimate power. He with the biggest guns, the largest army, or the greatest wealth is he who rules. We're just funneled, fled it, or fed it constantly. But not with the people of God. Not with the people of God. Our boast is in the creator God who made heaven and earth. Verse 7 states this contrast, is what it is, contrast plainly. Some, those whose portion is in this life, you could say from Psalm earlier, I just, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now get this. Watch verse 8. Watch how verse 8 reveals one of the oh-so-familiar paradoxes of the Christian life. They collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. Notice the starting position. They, whose portion is in this life, they collapse and fall. Collapse and fall from where? where they highly exalted themselves by their trust placed in worldly strengths, wealth, objects of warfare, army size. However that is expressed, high-minded and confidence in those things that will ultimately fail them. They will collapse and fall. They are false saviors. I mean, read some of the history books. It's a repeating story. An empire rises And it doesn't last. It doesn't. No nation in existence now will overcome that cycle. History repeats itself. A day will come when America is a footnote in the history books. I think I got that from Piper, but it's so well-placed. A footnote in the history books. This is sad, but it's true. We're not going to break the history cycle, America. The only nation, the only nation that will be everlasting is the one Christ is building. You are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And it is in him we are to constantly place our trust in, both individually and corporately, as a people group, as a church. Who, now watch our starting position, verse 8. We're going to read verse 8 again. They collapse and fall, but we, God's holy nation, will rise and stand upright. Rise and stand? Doesn't this imply our, our prior position, what our prior position was? That it wasn't high and lifted up? 
Yeah, hence the Christian life, constant paradoxes. The way up is down. To truly live is to die to self. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. They are to become like child, like you are to become like a child, Jesus says. Perhaps you're, you're hearing Paul's words to the church in Corinth. It's in 2 Corinthians where he says this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But we, himself and the church, he's talking similarly as we've been reading here. We have this treasure in jars of clay, jars of clay that can be easily broken. That's you and me, okay? We're weak, we're frail. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. In every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, that's our bodies, the death of Jesus, so that, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you see what he's saying there? Do you see how that works? We're persecuted, we're beat down, we're, we're just, bleh. The life of Jesus is coming through. Through that suffering, the glory of Christ is shining through as our hope and our trust remains fixed on him. Think of Stephen as he's being crushed, being persecuted, ultimately stoned to death, his face shone like a what? Like an angel. Like an angel. Even in his last heartbeat, with a calmness, saying, I see my Lord standing to greet me. I'm not getting that verbatim, but that's glorifying Christ. That is manifesting the life of our Savior in him, in that suffering. That is what Paul is talking about. That is the Christian life. Though beaten down by the world, Satan, and sin, we, the covenant people of God, can place our trust and hope in the living God that we will rise and stand upright. And sometimes it's in this life, okay? You know, for sure, we will do so for the glory of Christ. Those times when we're in the valleys, where he's walking there with us the whole time, but we are down. We are in a dark, sad place that is just, I don't want to be there, but we're there, and he's with us, but he will rise us out of that as well. That happens. He will lift you from those dark valleys to the mountaintops. But ultimately, ultimately, it's at the end of the age. It's at the end of the age when our Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. Then we alive who are left will be caught up. You could say rise up together with them. That's all God's covenant people together throughout the ages, caught up together as one people in that moment. Every one of us complete. No one is left out. All of us are together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That promise of God's in 1 Thessalonians 4 is true and trustworthy. It is an anchor. By faith in Jesus, keep your trust placed firmly in him who is our banner, who will return in that manner. All for one and one for all and all for the glory of Christ hinges upon trust. Trust is paramount. This brings us to our closing verse. Closing verse in this psalm, verse 9. Let's go ahead and just read it. Verse 9. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The literal reading in the Hebrew reads it like this. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Which has a different read. And this 
this stumped me. <laughs> this stumped me. I, I mulled over this for some time, asking the Lord, just what is it that David is conveying here in closing? You know, David wrote this psalm. What is he conveying here? David, who, whose heart is after God's own heart, who expresses this beautiful prayer in Psalm 20, emphasizing all for one and one for all for God's covenant people whom he himself is a member of. Why does he close it like this? So let's, let's consider this man of God, this king, this shepherd of the people Israel, the one whom God chose and commanded, saying, David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. That was God's command as he chose David as his servant to be so. And King David was a man of the people. The people loved him. They did. And he them, he loved the people. Do you recall how David, while chosen by God to be king over his people, but not yet anointed and taking the throne as king, which was held by Saul at that time? Do you recall what was happening in David's life while he was fleeing King Saul, whom God rejected? What was happening during that time? I mean, he's going to caves. He's just all over the place. There was gathering around David an increasing amount of what? people, loyal followers, people who are following, loyal followers of David who would give their life for him. There's a whole chapter of God's, David's mighty men of valor. They would give their life for him and David would give his life for theirs. What would you say David was earning from them during that time? Their trust. He was earning their trust. He earned their trust. And trust of this magnitude is rightly to be valued and strived to uphold for what it is. As their leader, with this earned trust of the people, it brought along with it, as it should, it brought along with it a great burden for the people. And I believe, mindful of this, David recognized, with dependency upon God, he recognized the great need for strong leadership and God's help for it. Our third and closing point, the need for strong leadership. All for one and one for all needs strong leadership. So, Though the reeds of verse 9 have differences about them, O Lord, save the king, may he answer us when we call, or save, Lord, let the king answer us, or hear us when we call. What is, what is communicating through both is a cry for help to God for the king to lead the people who are looking to him to do so. And as this, took, as this took shape in my mind, a line from one of my all-time favorite movies came to mind. Any guesses? I'm just curious. Braveheart. Braveheart. It's the scene where the tyrannical King Edward I, the King of England, where he receives word about steadily growing volunteer forces behind this Scottish rebellion, just kind of like, like David, loyal, laying down their life for this warrior, William Wallace, who was leading this rebellion that was threatening King Edward's heavy hand over Scotland. And when, and when suggestions come to King Edward and express concern over these growing number, this multitude of volunteers who gladly follow, follow this trusted leader, of the rebellion, 
King Edwards, King Edward interrupts him by yelling, sheep, mere sheep, easily dispersed if you strike the shepherd. Easily dispersed if you strike the shepherd. Take the leaders out. The rest is light work. It is. And we see this depicted through the pages of Scripture on accounts of fallen kings. And also throughout history. Strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. Our enemy knows this tactic well. And he is not soft in going about his attempts to strike hard to this effect. So what are we as a people who are all for one and one for all and all for the glory of Christ? What are we to do that we may have lasting, strong leadership? Without question, God's word instructs us to what? Pray for one another. One another, all of us, each of us praying on behalf of one another. I mean, the bulk of this psalm signifies that as an example to us, as a covenant people of God. We are to pray for one another. And this is probably best summarized all inclusively by Paul in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, where he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all, all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we, may lay, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, then. Like, very straight, forward, clear, concise, and complete. But listen how the author of of Hebrews concludes on his instruction about leaders and those under their care. Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would, not, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now here it is. You could say, of light of all this, just spoken, verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us that we, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Pray for us. When I read that, it carries with it this, this great weight because of the fact that the church can be easily dispersed if the shepherd out. Strike the shepherd, the, the sheep scatter. And so, as supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are made for all people, as it should, Please, please, with the same urgency that comes through in verse 18 of Hebrews, chapter 13, pray for your leaders. That we as a people who together are all for one and one for all may have lasting, strong, unified leadership for the good of all and all for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so good and you are so trustworthy. I want to first just say thank you for the trust that you have granted, that you have brought about within this body of believers. 
I thank you, God, for it. And it's a fact that it's had in my life and others. But God, I do pray also that you would show favor in granting more. That this would be a place um, that this would be something that we continue to pursue and grow steadily in. For the fruit of it is, is significant. The effects of it are, are large and lasting. And the freedom in it is a delight. Even when there's tears of heartache, there's still a sweetness present when such is cultivated among a covenant people of God. So I ask, would you be gracious to us? Would you probe and prompt by your spirit and how we can how we can further build this amongst one another? And lastly, God, I thank you that you that the trustworthiness that you hold is constant. We look to the cross. There is no doubt to be had. You are for us. You gave it all. There is no questions to pose to you that the cross does not answer. And so I thank you for being trustworthy. And I ask, God, that you would help us trust you. That which we believe and say and speak, well, say and speak, but communicate to one another and that it would just intensify, that we truly would grow in our trust in you, that it would work itself out in action, that both would operate in sync. And I do believe I do, believe they do oftentimes, but I know, again, it's an area, God, I can grow in. And I trust I'm not alone either. So grow us in our trust in you. That sweet resting of our mind and our heart by having our confidence in you. Bring us there. Keep us there. May it multiply among us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenant people. Thank you that you showed me mercy and grace to be a part of her. Thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.